Welcome to The Get Together. It's our show about the nuts and bolts of community building. And I'm your host, Bailey Richardson. There she is. Hello. I'm a partner at People and Company, and I am a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People, which is now available on Amazon. Well, that's really cool to hear. I'm Kevin (laughs) Huynh. I'm also a partner at People and Company. I'm also a co-author of Get Together. I am also a current player of SimCity on my iPad. You, still, you play still? Play games. Oh. Yeah, I totally play games. Okay. Play games. Talk a little bit more about that later. Playing Spider-Man on PS4, all that good stuff, which is relevant to this episode. Why is it relevant? Okay, well, each episode of our podcast, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to thousands more members? Kevin made that uh, little hint over there because today we're talking to Erin Wayne or Aurelian as she's known on the internet. Six years ago, Erin was brought on as the first pure community hire at Twitch, a company that we cite often and respect a lot for how transparent and collaborative they are with their community. It's been challenging as we've grown, right? And as we've gotten a scale that is completely astronomical, but it's core to who Twitch is. And so that in sense breeds the community being very passionate about what they do because they know that their opinions and their feedback impact the product. They know that we're listening. They have very strong opinions about what we do, but it's because they spend so much time here and we would be doing ourselves and them a disservice if we didn't listen. If you know Twitch, you're likely obsessed with it. The statistics are bonkers. More than a million people are on the site at any given moment. And that's kind of an old stat. So who knows what they're at right now? Thousand times as many. (laughs) But if you don't know Twitch, here's the deal. Twitch is a platform that allows people to stream their lives. It started as a place where people played video games while other enthusiasts watched along. But today it has evolved to much more. And Aaron has been a part of broadening our perception of what we go to Twitch for. So today we'll dig into the story of how Erin came to work at Twitch all those years ago, her early efforts there, and two remarkable community programs she's led, Twitch Ambassadors and their meetup program. Kevo, what stuck out with you about our conversation with Erin? Two things. Number one is that her equipment was much better than ours and her setup was much cooler. (laughs) So we get past that. Uh, Number two is this pattern of supercharging what community members already want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was was a recurring theme through Erin telling her story about getting involved as a streamer and then eventually being hired by Twitch. She talks about her early job was to bring more Minecraft players to that platform. And she had to understand exactly you know, what type of player and streams that people really wanted so she could enable more of that. Um, later on, she helped kind of launch this ambassadors program. And it wasn't about Twitch commanding these ambassadors for what the company wanted. It's about giving them training and exposure to help those creators build their own communities, do more of what they want to do. And finally, we talk about these Twitch meetups that are really starting to proliferate. I think they just passed 50 cities. Uh, there's a cool story where at the beginning, you know, the uh, Twitch HQ starts to see these meetups, these rogue meetups happening naturally. And the legal department's like, do we send a cease and desist? And so Erin and her team are like, no, <laughs> these are like beautiful hand raisers of our community. Can we create the structure so those meetups can be even better and that we can sort of empower them to do this officially and, you know, in, in an even more awesome way. So I think that pattern of just supercharging what these members already want to do was just a key takeaway for me. Yeah. I think also aspirationally, people and company wants to sit in the middle of a Venn diagram that goes as such community. We're interested in community. We are fun and playful and we also take our work seriously and we apply rigor to it. I feel like Erin is totally in the middle of that Venn diagram. She's like right in the middle of it and you'll get that from our conversation. So it's just really fun to talk to her. Yeah, definitely. Sick. Let's get into it, Erin. Let's get into it. Aurelian. Thank you for coming to the podcast. We're stoked to have you. I want to start asking you a question we always ask people, which is that most community or organizers, community leaders, they can't fake the funk. Usually whatever type of people they're organizing, those people care about something that they too care <laughs> okay. about. Can't fake the funk. So for you, before you worked at Twitch, yeah. 
You were a streamer yourself, kind of a big deal, as I've heard in the Minecraft community. Okay. I mean, big deal is like very Well, no one's fact-checking there. (laughs) This is light fact-checking space. Um, Can you tell me about what you love so much about social gaming and like why you got into it and just why is your heart into this stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the story that you hear a lot from streamers and people who do YouTube videos and gamers in general that have some kind of public persona is like, everyone says I grew up gaming which is true. Also, in my case, the kind of difference in what I was doing is I grew up tabletop gaming with my dad, my brother, and my dad's friends. And so I was the only girl that was tabletop gaming. My mom would sometimes come in and dabble. But in terms of hardcore gaming and competitiveness or wanting to like sit down and really rally out like games of Titan for hours on end, I was the only girl that I knew. And tabletop gaming back then, you know, in the early 90s and late 80s was not what we see on Stranger Things. Like it wasn't your pocket of D&D like nobody talked about like your D&D group Dungeon and Dragons for lame lay, lay people yeah, yeah like me. Yeah. <laughs> if you know Stranger Things, there it's, you the, go. it's the Demogorgon the game. The Demogorgon. Yeah. So as computers came about and World of Warcraft and EverQuest started happening, it was still kind of a singular experience where like, yes, you have people that are on the other end, but really what's the difference between an NPC and another person if you can't see them face to face? So NPC is a non-player controlled entity. Yeah. Yes. And so it basically means it's just like a robot. It's scripted into the game versus they somebody else the that I'm playing with it on does, the other You can't end. really tell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then as I went to my first BlizzCon after my daughter was born, I was like, oh my God, there's like these people have faces and they are here and they are tangible and there is a relationship that we can have here. It's hard to really put that perspective into your brain. It's it's the same reason why public speaking to 500 people is different than streaming to 30,000 mm. because you're still in mm-hmm. your computer room by yourself. And so I think for me, the interesting thing that kind of gravitated me towards wanting to explore that community side of it was that there are tangible relationships and real-time friendships and bonds that are being formed over something that is typically a very singular experience, which is why I'm I'm gravitating towards live um, because experience is real time. There's a real connection there and not a delayed, maybe they read my comment, maybe I get a, a response, maybe I don't. It's very real. My experience has been very jarring and wonderful and crazy all at the same time because I went from being someone who gamed alone to a year later having brand deals and being thrust into the media spotlight of like, work with us, here's Google, here's Samsung, like have all these relationships with these big brands and like, how do I set up an Instagram? I don't know. How do (laughs) I make money on AdSense? I don't know. None of those questions were being answered 10 years ago when I got into the industry. So it's been fun. Can you also, let's start into the Twitch side of your life. So you've been at Twitch for about six years, I think. Maybe six years in February is when I will have started. Woo, congratulations. Thanks. Twitch is only about eight years-ish old, I think. We just celebrated our eighth anniversary of actually being formed into a company uh, at E3 this year. Cool. So you've been there since the early days Mm -hmm. and you were the first like really pure, pure, pure community manager that Twitch hired. Mm -hmm. But can you take us back and tell us how you ended up at Twitch and what the company was like six years ago? Kind of set the scene for everyone listening. We're not owned by Amazon at the time. We were kind of a very scrappy startup I started at Twitch because at the time I was working at a very gross, bad IT job. And I had- Hopefully they're not listening, but if they are- I'll call them out. I'll call them out. (laughs) They know who they are. (laughs) They know who they are. Um, Yeah, I was working for this company and I had friends uh, that were streaming on Twitch and I went to a charity event at Disney World to kind of talk as an influencer about like what I could do for this charity and met somebody who at the time was working in partnerships for Twitch and I was in the Minecraft. That was when I was like heavy being YouTuber, doing Minecraft videos, really working with that. Well, my professional background is in marketing and education and so I was kind of older than the rest of the group. A lot of the people that were making these videos were like 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe they were 20, 21. And here I was 26, 27. I was a little bit seasoned. I had a little bit more professional experience under my belt. And so we would go to these events and I would be like the literal mom of the group being like, let's everybody get together. And so because I was that person, I had a lot of these connections, right? So bringing us back to Twitch, at the time that they were launching, it was because our founders were really interested in esports, heavy games like StarCraft, League of Legends, 
those types of things. And so having conversations with them, they were like, hey, you seem to know this Minecraft thing. You seem to have like a little bit of experience with marketing and trying to figure these things out. Do you think that you would want to work for us? And the deal at the time was they were going to pay me what I was making at my crappy IT job to work for them part time. And I was like, done, (laughs) (laughs) done. And you're going to fly me to conventions. (laughs) Done. So let's do it. Uh, So I started actually working for Twitch. My first job was partnerships, comma, Minecraft. And so I started working for them and, and learning a lot about the trends, the things that people experience in terms of viewership rise and fall on YouTube happen on Twitch. What are the differences in the demographics of the people who consume those content? Is the strategy different? Uh, so I started doing that. And then because Twitch was a startup, two years in to a technology company is still very much in its infancy. And so I would show up to things <laughs> like a PAX event and partners would be standing around, partners that people who get paid to stream on Twitch. So we would have partners standing around in our booth at like a PAX tweeting, hey, come meet me at the Twitch booth if you want a picture. And I would ask things like, well, how come we don't just have a meet and greet spot and like formulate meet and greets and we can give branded picture opportunities, do giveaways with swag and stuff to like get our name out there. And they were like, that sounds like a good idea. Like you want to do that? And I'd be like, sure. Thing after thing after thing kept rising where I would go like, why don't we do this to engage? And why don't we do this to engage? And finally they were just like, why don't you just do that full time? Yeah. They're like, this girl rocks. Uh, Please come work for us full time. You also had mentioned maybe some background in event planning. And I feel like there's something about that mindset of just being super organized, like breaking things down into step by step by step, check boxes, like all of that. I can imagine you having that skill set was probably something that a lot of people that were working at a tech startup at the time didn't have or like quite know how to do. I think event planners are also a different breed in that we see a need and we fill a need. It doesn't matter if it's like a florist job or an AV person. Mm -hmm. If something needs to get done, we're going to source it and we're going to figure it out because at the end of the day, the whole thing is our problem. And so I think that there's just a different mindset when you come from an event background that when something needs to get done, you just do it. And so team player, baby. Yeah, it's team all t- Twitch actually in its in its infancy used to have a one of our company tenants was it's all your job. You don't go, that's not my job. Like if you see something that needs to be done, you don't have to do it, but you should alert someone or work on it or pass it forward. And so I kind of had that and everyone had that at the time. You know, we were 140 employees like running this thing that was a global company and everyone cared a whole lot. Everyone was a gamer. Everybody wanted to have some kind of impact in the communities that they felt very strongly about. But really organizing that into a cohesive plan is a much different tactic. And so we had partnerships people and we had sales people and we had HR people and we had a ton. Most of those 140 people were engineers. But it was really just in the early days figuring out how do we take this thing that we're so passionate about and the people who are obviously passionate about those same things and how do we connect with them in in a very real time kind of going back to that shared BlizzCon experience. How do we do this every day without having to be at a BlizzCon? Like, how can I do that from my house? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really love about how you have approached community at Twitch is how clear the structures are and how clear the programs are. And later in the interview, I want to like really break that down. Um, so Twitch was like 140 employees. And what were some of the the streamer stats or like the activity stats when you joined? And what are they now? Just so people can understand. I think at the time <laughs> we probably had under 10,000 partners, which again are the people who are generating revenue on Twitch. They're the making top money. of the yes. celebrities of Twitch. Yes. Yeah. On average, yeah. And so they have achieved some kind of status. In order for you to reach partner at the time, we have about 37,000 partners. Um, wow. But what's been really interesting is we opened up kind of an initial threshold called the affiliate program, which mm-hmm. you just have to have 50 followers and two concurrent viewers. And you do unlock basic monetization so that a lot of people can monetize their hobby of playing video games, right? Which is really awesome. And I think they just announced at TwitchCon were over like 350,000 affiliates. If you look at the number of people that are actually wow. generating some kind yeah. of income yeah. from Twitch, the growth <laughs> is exponential. We're localized in 40 different languages. The global expansion is huge compared to where we were back then. And what's particularly interesting is that each one of those regions still has their own community, still has their own corner of the internet that we have to service and we have to solve for. 
I'd love to ask a bit about you kind of what you learned with your initial problem statement, right? You were brought in, it's like, come do Minecraft here. What uh, does that even mean? I don't know. I didn't have a job description. They were just like, do Minecraft. <laughs> do okay, Minecraft. And I'm wondering, like, as uh, thinking about other sort of platforms that look at, you know, how do we bring this sort of new community here? How do we sort of seed this new community here? What did you learn about that? I mean, what did... Back then, a lot of the interesting part was exploring what I didn't know. And so that means that I was asking questions. A lot of that first six months that I was at Twitch was literally spent talking to creators going, hey, I noticed that you had a huge spike in January, but then you had a dip in April. Like, what were you doing in January that you weren't doing in April? And a lot of the times creators didn't even recognize the trends that they were seeing. And so a lot of it was truly talking to the people that I was trying to impact and learn and understand and saying, what are you doing on these months where you're very successful and what are these? And and we learned that it actually had nothing to do with viewership. So YouTube is typically pretty predictable. When kids go back to school, you see dips. During holidays and summers, they tend to rise, as do ad rates because people are viewing more. We were not seeing that on Twitch. We were seeing completely different askew. And what happened to one guy over here was not the same as what happened to another guy over here, even though they were streaming the same content with the same schedules. It really was a case-by-case basis and learning best practices about what to do and what the community wanted and what type of Minecraft they were streaming. Because not all Minecraft is the same. You have adventure modes, you have modded, you have all these different types of Minecraft. And so it was a lot of case studies and it was a lot of learning about the community. And what's interesting is I think I see a lot of people come into Twitch who say, oh, I'm a video game enthusiast. I love video games. And it's like, but loving video games is not the same as understanding the group who is particularly drawn towards a segment. And you really have to take a step back and ask a lot of questions so that you can figure out what the challenge is. Because you can say we want to grow, but growing isn't actually the challenge because there's probably 15 sub challenges underneath that need to get addressed before you can do that. And really, the core problem wasn't we want to grow. The core problem is we want to feel like those people have their space on Twitch and they feel like they belong and they have the tools that they need to feel like they belong. How did you go about doing the listening side? Uh, Was it systematic? Were you just calling people up on the phone? Was it mostly at like esports events? How did you kind of break that project up and think about doing that? I had all these outstanding relationships because I was so integrated into that specific community that the first thing that I did was told everybody, hey, I'm going to work on this job. Like, I'm probably going to have a lot of questions. Do you care if I schedule it? Back then, Skype was like the thing. (laughs) Do you care if I like call you on Skype? And so I would get an initial set of data that showed their best performing months, their lowest performing months for the last year. I would figure out who they collaborated with and see if there were any like patterns. So a lot of it was getting a basic set of data that I felt like I could come to some conclusion. And then I would not tell them what the data said outside of you performed really well in January. What do you think happened? And then I would let them tell me because I may know the answer, but their perceived answer tells me something completely different. And so I just wanted to hear from them. Like, why do you think you did better this month? Why do you think this? And what we learned actually was that there was a perception at the time that collaboration was competition, that if I collaborate with you, you're going to essentially take my viewers. Mm. Um, But what we were seeing, and we had the numbers to back it up, is the months that they were the most successful were the months that they were collaborating with other people. Mm. You actually had more subscribers. You had more purchasers. You had more viewers when you were collaborating. When you stopped collaborating is when your numbers went down. And that was the same for everyone. And so Mm. we were able to go back. And then now you see kind of these big Minecraft groups and they see the power of collaboration. And that perception shifted because we had the data to show them that. But it was just, it was a lot of just talking. It was a lot of asking them questions, making them have realizations of things that were powerful and were not powerful. From there, from those responses, we developed strategies to grow Minecraft. We ran a big event called Mining for Charity, which was a charitable event where we, for every week, for I think four weeks, we would get like 40 Minecrafters together to stream at the same time on Teams and then share the viewership and increase followers and all that kind of stuff. It was fun. It sounds like you did two things at once, which was listening not only made people feel like Twitch cared about them Mm -hmm. in a category that traditionally I think that wasn't the case, as you said, Mm -hmm. but you also, it sounds like, came up with insights that you could offer to these people so that they might be able to be successful on the platform. Yeah. Like experience success, which is 
it's one thing to just feel taken care of, but it's another thing to be able to see results that you actually want to see and you helped people get to that on Twitch. Yeah, it's wild that it seems basic information, but when you are transparent with the people that you want to work with and you give them data, I think the challenge is that a lot of companies, particularly in the social sphere, are so protective of their data and they like mm. don't want anyone else to know and it creators can't fix problems if they don't know how to fix them, right? And if you're a company dictating to them that's like, you should do this thing, well, they're not going to listen to you because you're a company. But if you go, hey, here's the data, your personal data that you have access to, and here's your dashboard, here's what it says. We talked to 15 other people that have the same results as you, and you all unanimously said that this was the driver of success in your peak months. Let's figure it out. You want to run a challenge? I'll pay you to run this experiment with us. And then they're yeah. like, okay, cool, low risk. I'll figure it out. And then they start seeing those things. And I think that's one of the things that for me, Twitch has always done. It's been challenging as we've grown and as we've gotten a scale that is completely astronomical. But I think that that's one of the things that Twitch has done is we've constantly gotten feedback of like, here's a product we're launching. And it's always launched in a very like alpha V1 state because then we take your feedback and we look at what you're doing with it and then we make changes it's core to who twitch is and so that in sense breeds the community being very passionate about what they do because they know that their opinions and their feedback impact the product they know that we're listening they have very strong opinions about what we do but it's because they spend so much time here and we would be doing ourselves and them a disservice if we didn't listen yeah, it sounds like a culture yeah. of a company trying to figure things out with the community versus for the community. And that shows yeah. up in like these different ways of gathering feedback on like product changes to being a bit more transparent around the numbers that everyone wants to increase. Yeah, I think, again, yeah. it sounds very simple to be like, ah, you should do what they want and not dictate to them, as you put it, what they should be doing with things. Because that just, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what yeah. I want to do, right? Like we're an honorary culture, <laughs> us gamers. You can't tell us what to do. So here I want to jump into a couple of programs that you guys have launched that I really respect and, and get into the nitty gritty of that. So the first one that I, I really love is the Twitch ambassador program. Yeah. You mentioned there's a Twitch partnership program, which is like the creme de la creme. You have to really have a lot of people watching you play video games. Mm -hmm. You have to reach certain thresholds. And that's a pretty elite group. Then there's affiliates just below the partners. But those are sort of just like standardized. You reach these thresholds and they're number you based. Can they're number-based. Mm -hmm. They're like performance-based. Mm -hmm. And there's another program that you guys launched and run called the Ambassador Program. And can you just explain why you guys created the Ambassador Program, what makes it different, sure. and what you guys do for those ambassadors? So we started looking at representation as a whole when it came to top talent at TwitchCon in 2018. When you kind of sort the directory from the top down or you look at the numbers from the top down, they tend to predominantly be esports based content because a lot of people watch esports. It's what Twitch started out as. We have a lot of hardcore and core gamers. It just is part of what Twitch is. But there is a difference in how many people are watching versus the impact that people are able to make. Sometimes people, very small pebbles can make very big ripples, right? You don't have to have 10,000 people watching to really make a significant impact on Twitch. And what we wanted to make sure that we were doing by the people that we were advertising and using in our promotions is that when you looked at them collectively as a group, if you looked at just the top down, you would be like, oh, Twitch is esports. But Twitch is not esports. Twitch is also cooking and outdoor and IRL. And there's a lot of different Minecraft and book reading. Book People reading. Like read books to each there's other. There's a guy there. One of my favorite streamers, his name is Obi. He streams from his like combine tractor like in the field oh my and he God. talks about farming in America and like he educates people and he's really funny. There's another one called Our Chicken Life where you can feed chickens. I want to feed chickens. <laughs> I know. It's so great. And then they cluck oh and then they get God. all happy. Like just <laughs> in real time, it's just like petting a puppy, but without a puppy. Um, so there are a lot of things that Twitch is and a lot of things that Twitch does 
And we wanted to be able to accurately reflect that. And so we chose 15 people from a variety of disciplines on Twitch that also were very representative of different backgrounds. We know that all gamers are not men. There are a lot of women gamers. We know that there are LGBTQ gamers. We know that there are black gamers. We know that there are Latin gamers. We wanted to make sure that as a whole, everybody could look at this list and feel like I found someone that represents me because that's what we want on Twitch. We want everyone to be able to find a corner that they belong to. That's what we did with the ambassador program. Um, We launched with 15 and then it got a lot of really good feedback. There was a lot of really positive sentiment and we kind of went back afterwards. And the challenge that was approached to me by kind of our higher ups was like, this is awesome. How do we do this all the time? And mm-hmm. so that's what we did. We we started this year with the ambassador program and we chose about 38 people to run this test throughout the year where we feature them on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And we talk about their communities and we choose people who are all of those things. They represent a variety of disciplines and backgrounds on Twitch, but they also have done something to like help the community and really be a core staple. We have one ambassador, Deer, who is a drag queen. One of the first kind of drag queens to really embrace Twitch full time and stream the art of drag, but also video games. Like it's a very unique uh, combination. And she, 2019, I love it. Yes. She (laughs) herself has been responsible for recruiting an entire crew of other drag queens, which then has a positive impact on LGBTQ representation and people feeling like there's a space for them to belong. And even though she may not get 10,000 viewers, she may have 200, 300 viewers. It's still a very impactful to those users who mm-hmm. feel potent. like, yeah, exactly. And we wanted to be able to be able to do that on a regular basis and highlight those shining stars and say, Twitch is all of these things. Yes, we're esports. Yes, we're gamers. But it's also an amazing, eclectic community of people who have an interest that you probably also share somewhere on the site. So break it down for me. If I'm dear or, you know, I'm Basil Ray and you choose me as an ambassador, I would yeah. call myself Basil Ray. What would I get from you guys at Twitch? Y'all are offering a spread of a buffet of dope things. Can you just go through what you give each ambassador or what yeah. they kind of receive? So um, in addition to the promotion that I mentioned before, we feature them kind of out socially. We also work with them a lot behind the scenes in a number of different ways. We bring them out in groups. Each quarter, we bring a new group out to our headquarters. We have them sit down with our product teams, really talk to our product developers and say, these are my current challenges on Twitch. These are what I wish was better. If we're testing a new product or developing a new product, they'll go like, well, what would you think if we did this? And they give real-time feedback in a variety of different ways so that product managers and product developers have to think outside of one box and really go like, how do we make this work for everyone? We have them sit down with our PR team and talk to them about PR training so that if they want to have a podcast appearance that they know how to eloquently speak about their channel and what they do, we teach them. We sit down and have a two-hour course with them about brand strategy and how to maximize their footprint on Twitch and the power behind being a brand. Deer is a brand and what does she do on her Instagram or her Twitter or outside of Mm -hmm. her Twitch channel so that she becomes very recognizable. Is it a color palette? Is it a name? Is it a tagline? She has a really great one. Man, I want to be a Twitch ambassador. Yeah, my name is is Deer and I play what you fear. She's great. (laughs) Shout out to Deer. I know, she only plays horror games anyway. I felt the need to snap my fingers there, but I'm not going to. I don't have a fan, but if I had a fan, I would snap it. Um, But yeah, so we teach them a lot of techniques and power. We get them introduced to like Twitch staff. So if they need support outside of their week of promotion. If they have questions, we have a Twitch team so that you can find all of our ambassadors in one central location. They always are contacting us about feedback. Hey, this product didn't work for me. So then we pass it along to those same product managers and product developers. So they get a lot of access to Twitch staff. We give them a lot of tools. We give them, if they're coming to TwitchCon, we provide them with free tickets. It's just a lot of working with them as partners and setting them up of like, hey, you're doing really good things at Twitch. How do we continue empowering you in addition to like marketing, Mm -hmm. but really what is valuable to you as an individual contributor to the community at large? What are the main responsibilities as an ambassador? What do we ask of them? You just got to do what they do, man. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. It's very easy. It's like, it's It's like, do what you do and we are here to supercharge you. Yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. You know, continue being an inspiration to the people within the community. Can a lot of them, 
either are onboarding new people saying, hey, come over to Twitch and this is a great place. A lot of them are educating. Hey, here's a great way for you to better yourself. Some of them are just raising money for charity. Um, one of the guys that we used at TwitchCon this year named T-Rex is responsible for a convention that has raised millions of dollars for charity. There are people who are making a global impact and really just inspiring gamers to get involved, get active and kind of be a good steward of the community and be that inspiration for others going, wow, I have an opportunity not just to get some followers and generate some revenue, but actually do something very good with the platform that I've been given. Yeah. It's like they already have a fire going and Twitch is just like, we have some WD-40. We're just going to like spray this on. Just like, yeah, boosh. Exactly. <laughs> we have all these things to offer you. How does it change your relationship as a company with those ambassadors? Like, you know, once someone's selected as an ambassador, they come to headquarters for a week. How does it make them feel? How does it shift Yeah, them? I mean, I think that there's two parts to that, right? There's the pro part, which is shift changes from not Twitch only cares about the people who make 10,000 subscribers or have 30,000 concurrence or whatever, you know, they're not only worried about that top 1% that Twitch cares about me regardless of where I am on my creator journey. We have more than one time had someone be like, are you confusing me with someone else? Mm. We're like, no, like we reached out to you on purpose because some of our ambassadors are affiliates. Some of them have 15, 20 concurrence. They haven't hit that part for partnership. But again, I think that's where we go back to like a very small rock can make very big waves. Like eventually like that ripple can continues and continues. And we don't only want to focus on the top. We want to show people that you are valuable to Twitch as a company and as a community, regardless of what your numbers are, if you are doing really good things. So the pro is that, yes, I think we beat the perception that it's only the biggest that matter. And I think it also helps those creators themselves feel like, okay, wow, I really do have support when I feel like I'm struggling One, I have someone who I can reach out to. And two, I feel like in general, Twitch is invested in me when I am investing in them, which is a really good perception. The interesting call out, and I wouldn't call it a con, I would still call it a pro, is that the point of this program is not to like make them our best friends so that they'll always be happy with us. Because a lot of our ambassadors who come to us with very critical and tough feedback But they have that open line of communication to be able to do so. And we don't know how to fix problems that we don't know exist. Or we don't know, sometimes sentiment on social media is very hard to judge because it can be a very minority being very vocal and kind of shifting the like impact sentiment of something. And so when you have a trusted source coming to you being like, look, I love you, but you really messed up on this. We need that. We need those very open, honest and transparent lines of communication to be like, you know what? Okay, cool. What can we do to fix? And what do you think we should do to remedy the situation? The point is really to just establish those really strong relationships to support them so that they then can give us the feedback that we need to hear from all of those different backgrounds and varieties of content creators. It sounds like the point isn't necessarily agreement all the time or perfection. The point is trust. And that they like continue to believe that you guys are showing up, being intentional, thoughtful, considerate, Mm -hmm. engaged in how you're building for streamers as collaborators, not as like sort of servants or like plebs. It's like we're building with you. You guys are partners, you're collaborators. It's a really interesting dynamic. I was just having this talk with someone in our company yesterday about how in any other industry, when you have kind of a here to here, right? You have like the company talking to its users. It's a business to a business, right? Like I imagine that eBay doesn't go to their sellers going like, how are you feeling today? Like, like I, I, maybe they do. I don't know. I think at one point they did. And I'm not sure I think they it's, do it's so just much a very, anymore. Someone from eBay could yeah, so. As much as they are business, right? A channel on Twitch, a partner on Twitch is a business. They are here to make money. And as much as Twitch is a business, there is a unique shift I find that I've never seen anywhere else. There is a lot of personal investment here where I care very much as an individual, which means that a company is made up of individuals, which means the company cares and the business of the partners they care. There is a personal and transactional relationship that happens there that means something, which can make it both very helpful and very difficult to operate within those concepts. Yeah, because sometimes business is business. And sometimes there are just things that like, hey, that's technologically out of our realm. We cannot do that for you for these reasons. Um, And sometimes Mm -hmm. there are other things that are more like, hey, I'm really sorry that you're experiencing this. 
I don't know what to do for you. And those are very hard conversations to have. Again, I think that human element and that very like real, I'm a person talking to a person where we, I think we get in the most trouble is where it's just generic templated email and people are like, I don't want to be one in the Mm -hmm. cog. I want to be me that matters to you. And keeping that sense of mattering, even though that there are hundreds of millions of people that use the platform is really important. It's a remarkable feat. And it's a challenge. I think that, you know, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's the harder road, mm-hmm. you know. We hear so much about how quote unquote businesses are supposed to be run, but at the end of the day, these are personal choices. And the leadership of Twitch or, you know, the senior directors, the people from the bottom all the way to the top. You do get to choose how you want to treat your customers and how you want to treat your users. And there's no one way to do this. And I think Kevin and I both believe in this community approach because we care about people as full human beings. <laughs> like even in business, you don't walk into your office, shut the door and become like yeah. cyborgs, you know. Um, the scale of Twitch and the way that you're continuing to do this is so impressive to me. Another piece I want to ask you about is the meetups. So This whole transparency effort, this engagement effort with your users, just to me reflects like also a deep amount of trust. And I think that shows up in how you guys have approached these very grassroots meetups. Can you just talk about seeing these meetups and how you've decided to support them? So originally it started, I think, in 13 different cities around the U.S. and Canada. And I think London was about that time, maybe just after. But essentially what was happening is, is that all of these groups were so passionate about Twitch and they wanted to get together and they wanted to find local gamers in their area that they started having Twitch meetups. And so they were like, hey, if you love Twitch, come hang out with us. And it was a very honest, nothing nefarious, like we love Twitch. Let's come talk about Twitch. But Twitch is a brand and a trademark and there are risks when your brand is being used. And uh, some of them were selling tickets. And so people would email into Twitch and being like, I can't go to this meetup. Can I have a refund? Because they were confused. They thought it was us. And so, you know, kind of we got the pass on from legal. That's like, hey, if you guys aren't monitoring this, are we going to send out these cease and desist? And I was like, ah, don't do that. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) Yeah, because I think that like you don't see a lot of, in our space anyway, you don't see a lot of brands getting that type of passion behind their users that they are taking their own time, money, and energy to like get together and talk about how much they love the things that you curate for them as a website. Yeah, I love the unpaid event hosts, given how hard it is to host an event, yeah. you know? So the last like, thing wow. you want, I think, as one of those people is a cease and desist letter in the mail. <laughs> yeah, it's like punching yeah, the stomach. Yeah, how, how disheartening yeah. would it be if you were like, I love this company so much, and our, like, thank you was a, like, now quit, Yeah, right? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. like... I love Twitch. Twitch is like, where it might yeah. sue you. You're yeah. like, what? To whom it concerned. <laughs> yeah, and so, dear sir or madam. Um, so I was like, <laughs> let's not do that, okay? Like, how can we and so we had to sit down as like no one else in the space is doing this stuff right which I personally find enjoyable I love inventing wheels and being like let's be pioneers and doing this thing like how do we as a brand actually license our name and our image out in a way that protects us but also continues to empower our users and let's be very frank about this it was solving problems these meetups are in areas that we don't have brand recognition because we don't travel Twitch as a company has not gone to Vancouver Canada and had a Twitch event because there aren't gaming conventions there. And so now that we have a group there, Twitch has a presence and a representation there that we didn't have to facilitate. Those users are there and they are activating themselves to do that. I take that not lightly. That's really effing cool. I'll censor that. But like, it's so cool that people are doing that. And what do we do to empower them, but also keep the brand safe? There is a brand challenge there, but we want to empower them. We want to continue these things. We think they're freaking cool. They're just awesome. It's great to see that people love our brand so much that they want to get together and talk about it. And from the organizer standpoint that, again, these people are putting dozens of hours a week into planning these events just because they love it. And that's incredible. So what we did is we worked with our legal team. We developed a system where there are certain things that they can't do. That money can't be a barrier to entry, so they can't charge tickets. They are allowed to get sponsors as long as we approve them. You know, they're allowed to hold them in venues that they see fit. So if they want to have it in a barcade, they can have it in a barcade. If they want to have it in a park, they can have it in a park. It's really up to them and what works best in their community. So we aren't going to dictate down to them how to like have these events because we know that what works in Vancouver is very different than works in like Adelaide. 
right? And in Australia, like those are very different communities and types of places. And Adelaide loves to like be outside in the Australia. Shout out to I Adelaide. Know. Wasn't expecting you to say Adelaide yeah. there. You must be have a nice little yeah, they do. going on down in Adelaide. Yeah, they do. What's they up? do down under. There's five in <laughs> Australia actually, which is wild to me. Anyway, we try to be a partner to them and not dictate what they do. And we empower them by like sending them marketing materials. We give them swag to give away. We give them supplies like pens and name tags and coasters. Just this year launched meetups.twitch.tv. So you can find any meetup in a city near you if there is one. Uh, You register with single sign-on. So as a user, it protects your information. And so your first name is not getting out there. Somebody is not collecting them. They're not giving the information away because we gate it. And then it'll allows us to learn. Do the people who attend meetups have a different relationship with the site than the average user? And if so, what does that look like? And how do we support them in an IRL fashion? Is it through education? Are they aspiring streamers? Should we be sending staff out there to teach them how to be better at streaming? I don't know. We'll figure that out because we just launched it. But it's a really great way for us to, for the pretty low cost that, you know, we invest in this, we get a lot of return and we get a lot of, you know, engagement with our most passionate users. You know, these are people going outside to talk about how much they love us. What's the scale of the meetup program right now? Like how many people are getting together? How many cities? Yeah, you we're know? in now, I guess we're in 51 cities. We just accepted a couple yesterday. So we're in 50. We will be in 51 cities. Congratulations. In, number 50, number 49, number 50 and 51. <laughs> I know we're in. Uh, yeah, we're in like 51 cities in six countries around the globe. They average about 150 attendees at each. Some of them have 20 and London is our largest. They have about 2000 attendees. They're giant. Um, Yeah, we've had over 10,000 unique Twitch users attend meetups this year. A lot of them have attended multiple. They go back, you know, Seattle is one of ours. They hold them every month. So a lot of those people go every single month. But yeah, so we're engaging thousands of Twitch users, providing them with some kind of relationship with the brand that's done in a way that is locally relevant to them by people who care in the same way that they do. So it works out really, really well. And the longer the program goes on and the more we grow, it requires a lot of work. We do a lot of one-to-one communication with the organizers to about brand issues and how do we support you? And they have questions about their sponsors. Very frankly, if any group out there is like, we want to do the same thing, you will need many staff members to manage these groups. There is a lot of work, but it's very, very worth it. It is very, very worth it. Like I said, as they continue to grow, Twitch continues to go like, how do we be better at these? Like, how do we Mm. help them grow? What do they need from us? So it's really also been fun as somebody who is part of the community, who's been at Twitch for a really long time to see, you know, the new people in marketing and even, you know, our C-level executives going like, this is really cool let's make this bigger and better and like engage with more people in more cities. Like it's really fun to see. I'm so jealous of that culture. <laughs> I felt like in the early days of Instagram, it felt like that. And towards the end, we we lost that. So anyway, just I'm jealous. Kev has a question for you. Uh, just Kev, one of our uh, last questions. I want to ask about what's on your mind today. You know, what, um, what I haven't had of, coffee yet. Oh, so okay. Not much. <laughs> I was thinking like what sort of challenges is either, you know, the Twitch community facing or, you know, are you working through with regards to the ambassador program? Yeah. What's on your Mm -hmm. mind? My team at Twitch is called Community Marketing, and we are about 70% self-owned, meaning like we work on our own projects, we have our own goals, and we're about 30% Hmm. a service. So other teams come to us and say like, hey, we would like to launch this product. How do Hmm. we, you know, one of the things that we worked on was uh, when Twitch launched squad streaming. The challenge was how do we get people to break the perception that squad streaming is only for competitive like 4v4 games? Hmm. And so I was like, ah, you could do like, a cooking contest where you could have four chefs like cooking against each other and they have a time and like Mm. people could watch them. So we helped them come up with a creative strategy and then handed it off to our influencer marketing team who then recruited the specific streamers. Um, But we do act as a service. So we just made our calendar for 2020 of all of the things that we're going to be working on next year. And man, the number of ways that you have to engage in your community, whether it's through something like meetups or something through the ambassador program or celebrating. Like one of the things we talked about was how do we celebrate holidays? Mm -hmm. Like how do we become a globally inclusive company? If you celebrate Mother's Day, do you do UK Mother's Day or do you do American Mother's Day? Yeah. So we just said none of it. And we're just going to do a parent's day on a day that we pick. Every day is Mother's Day. And then it's Mother's and Father's (laughs) Day. And I have two moms or two dads or I have adopted parents or whatever. Like 
all parents adoptive or wow. parental. Redefining we make the our holiday. own holidays here. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, gamers are an it. ennui breed. You can't tell us what to do. Um, but like even from things like that, like uh, celebrating holidays or we want to kind of reach outward to people who may have the perception that Twitch is only gaming and go like, that's not true. Twitch has cooking and Twitch has travel and Twitch has artists and illustrators and beauty and body art and like all of these different things. We have a tattoo artist. Literally, if you like something, it's on Twitch. How do we market that out? And so our teams come up with some, I think, pretty creative strategies and we'll see how they pan out. So right now it's really... Stay tuned. Yeah, right now our, our challenge and kind of my biggest takeaways for right now is when you can do anything, how mm. do you do everything? And like do it in a way like I'm very much a believer in you can do a few things very, very well or you can do a lot of things mediocre and I don't want to be mediocre, but we have a lot of things to do. And so the challenge yeah. is scaling in ways and being able to not just throw things out there because we need to, but really honing in on like, OK, cool. This isn't going to happen in a year. It's going to happen in three years. But like, how do we divide yeah. and divide and conquer and do it really, really well? So it's as impactful as possible from everywhere, from experiences, from like onboarding to people who have been on Twitch for forever. How do we make these things impactful and meaningful? Our other business partner who's not on the the call, the interview right now, he says strategy is what you decide to say no to. Mm. I want to ask the last question the last of question. you. If I could give you whatever you wanted for the Twitch community, I had a friggin' magic wand. I could whip it out, give you whatever you want, whatever they need. What would you ask for from me? Oh, man. Uh-huh. Just one thing. Just one. Um, what I see a lot, and this kind of relates more, I think, towards the creators than it does to the community at large. But one of the questions that I get a lot from influencers and streamers is that they just aren't sure how to look at what they have as a platform and take that into something that is like a marketable, definable by this is how much I am worth in terms of like brands or sponsorships mm. or whatever. Reading analytics and understanding how to just kind of play the game of streaming. It's not just turn your computer on, play games and hope people notice you. There is an actual strategy behind when you go live and using go live notifications and like how impactful like certain chat elements are in, in securing users and getting people engaged and engagement turns into people subscribing and that turns into a paycheck. How much money do I charge for brands? Like there's a lot of education that goes behind like the actual business of streaming. So if I could have you wave a magic wand, I would actually have it turn into a easy to understand manual that would just mm. automatically apply to each streamer. Because what a Minecraft streamer does is mm. different from a food and drink streamer is different from a competitive esports player. Having a toolkit for each one of those instances to like train them and make them understand how to actually do the business of streaming would be really helpful, I think, for a lot of people. Sounds like something you got to leave, yeah. girl. You got to be like the one of very few people in the world that has the totality of that knowledge. If I had the time noggin. to write that as a book, <laughs> oh my God. If someone out there is a ghost writer, hit me up. I can talk about it all day. There we go. That's the ask. That's the the ask. Yeah. But part I, I, of it is like how it's custom, you know, how it is like yeah. sort of the advice and lessons according to, you know, who they are, what, you know, sub community they're a part of. So And luck is always a component, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that we tell mm -hmm. kids all the time I do a lot of talking because my daughter's 10 and like every kid in her class wants to be like ninja when they grow up or they like want to <laughs> be like the next big like youtuber they yeah. want to be Logan Paul or whoever no. and so I'm <laughs> I'm the like horrible parent that goes in and is like go to college yeah, so, I'm going to streaming college <laughs> but the teachers love it the teachers love it they're like yes come tell of our kids to, like continue their education <laughs> so it's like there's like golems in the front that like no more Fortnite <laughs> so they <laughs> so I go in all the time and I tell them and the analogy that I give them is like especially older kids seem to like take this a little bit more than the younger kids but 
you could play basketball your whole life. You could play basketball from the time you're four years old. You play on select teams. You are on the best school in high school. You go to the best college. You're one of the best players on your team. And you could be one of the best. And even when you're the best, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to make it to the NBA. Maybe the day that you were scouted, you just didn't have the best game. Maybe you were off. Maybe you had a sore muscle or maybe someone just outshone you. you take the wrong step or maybe just like your ACL. the guy wasn't paying attention <laughs> or maybe like just somebody yeah, yeah, happened yeah. to be a little bit better than you. Like there are so many reasons why even really good mm-hmm. players don't end up making it to the NBA is the reason there's only one Michael Jordan. There's the reason there's only one LeBron James. It's a reason why there's only one or 10 guys that end up being the multi multi millionaires with the shoe deals when there are plenty of talented players. But just because you don't make it to the NBA doesn't mean you have to give up your passion for basketball. You could be a coach. You could be a trainer. You could be like paramedic guy on the side of the court. You could go into marketing, right? Like you could work for the NBA. You don't have to give up the love of basketball because you didn't make it to the fame that you thought that you were going to be at. You can still do adjacent jobs that are related to that. And so that's what we tell gamers, right? Is like you are not probably going to be like PewDiePie or Ninja or any of these other big YouTubers, but you could work in game development. You could work in marketing. You could work for indie developer. You could work for a company like Twitch. Like there are jobs that you can do and still play games in your free time. And so that's kind of what we try to tell people is that luck is always a component to some of these things, you Mm. know? So like there isn't a book that could always be successful because there's always that component of timing and luck that like you just can't account for. Um, But it doesn't mean that you have to never stream. Erin, thank you so much for your time. We took an extra 10 minutes because we liked you so I much. I loved being uh, You're queen. We appreciate thank you. you. And uh, thank yeah, you so you're much. Welcome. See ya. If you want to get in touch with Erin, you can find her all over the internet as Aurelian. A-U-R-E-Y-L-I-A-N. What's up? There we go. What's Aurelian. <laughs> uh, Bailey, I have a question for you. If um, If you had a Twitch stream, what would you be streaming? Golly. I would like to, uh, you know, beginner's mind, Zen mind, beginner's mind. I think I actually would probably go live meditating. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Just one of my friends, Eight Eric now <laughs> maybe Eric's listening. He used to go on Facebook live meditating yeah. and there's something like sort of avant-garde and yeah, like sure. kind of wild about that. Yeah. Stillness is the move, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah, maybe I'd, I'd be a meditator. Maybe you can go live meditating, but I would take on sort of interacting with people who are leaving comments yeah, as, if I'm, as if I'm your brain. Yeah, You know perfect. what I'm saying? Perfect. It's like, perfect. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> wow, how is she doing that? That's what <laughs> well, people might ask. Let me throw that question back at you, Kevin. Whoa, now that you've boomerang. had 20 seconds to think about it, what would you do? Oh, I know my answer. I think I would do a cooking yes. stream with my fiance, Yo. Uh I'm just really proud of how we remix Leftovers. I think it's sort of like a a mini game of Chopped that's very real and approachable, aka every day or every other day or so of just remixing Leftovers all the time. So it would be this stream about like taking out what we have and all of a sudden being like, Oh man, I'm making a frittata today. I didn't know that, but given my you know current ingredients, this is what makes sense. Do you ever like double remix the same leftovers? Oh yeah. So like something becomes something becomes something. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Absolutely. Wow. It would be like uh, I would take a couple things and I'd remix it into a meatball, right? So you have leftover like vegetables oh, we and got rice to say or something, meatball again and then on you got it's, it's you know turned into a meatball, and then later on it'd be like, oh, I kind of needed something new, so then I, maybe we slice the meatball, and then it becomes a pizza or you make a meatball sub with it or you like crumble that all up and then bake it into a lasagna you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And then you Meatball's take that lasagna and then you blend it and drink it as a smoothie? Probably not. Nope. Don't do that. All right. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, people and company, you can visit our website, peopleand.company. Dot company. So dot company, not dot com. Also, our book, Get Together, is on Amazon. You can find the link at gettogetherbook.com. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations with community leaders like this one with Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. Twitch is in our book. Which is in our book. Sick. Oh, and the last thing, if you don't mind, if you like this podcast, we would very much appreciate it if you reviewed us or subscribed. Click subscribe. subscribe. It helps get our podcast out to more people in the world yes. when you do that stuff. Yes. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Bye. There you go.